Blog Talk Radio. Cases of young people being abused in American prisons have been detailed in a troubling new report. We're going to show you next uh, the treatment endured by one teenager referred to simply as Jamie in the report coming up. You may find some of the pictures in this video upsetting, though. Jamie was put in an adult prison at the age of 17 for what was apparently a non-serious offence. Lawyers say that's virtually unheard of, with teenagers usually sentenced to community service for such crimes. Women convicted of first-degree murder are also held at that facility, among other inmates. It's part of a letter next that we're going to show you, sent to her lawyer, describing the incident that you have just seen. Then I was gassed and pulled out of the segregation cell. I couldn't breathe and I was choking. I tried to sit up and I was choking and coughing and spit flew out of my mouth on the officer. The officer wrote me a staff assault due to this. The incident took place in June 2012 and was documented in the guard's logbook. It reads that around 3 p.m. on June the 5th, the prisoner was heard screaming and banging her head against the wall. The guards complained it was giving him a headache. Jamie was then extracted from his cell and restrained. In another incident, she claims she was left in restraints for four days. I was placed in five-point restraint for four days and I urinated on myself because I wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. They took me off restraints and took me to the shower and cleaned my room but did not allow me to shower and then placed me back on restraints. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Make no mistake about it, what you just heard is not a fairy tale or a Hollywood production. We deal tonight with Inmates' Lives Matter. Folks, hang on to your seats. It's getting getting ready to get very serious here at AJC Radio. Hang on. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we dig into a problem. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this will be some troubling information, yet very informative, that the lives of human beings, free or bound, matter. Tonight, we focus on one exclusive point. Inmates in county jails and Americans' prisons do matter and as you heard in the introduction clip tonight it gives a very clear impression that inmates lives really don't matter how they are treated behind the wall and uh dennis as we talk about this subject tonight uh before we get there dennis hold on would you lisa the disclaimer for our folks we would like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that it just cause does not provide legal advice you want to contact your own personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a Just Cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And tonight we'll be joined by Mark Clements. Uh, he was wrongfully convicted at the age of 16 and will give some insight on some things he has seen uh, behind the wall. Uh, also, we'll be joined by Nino Lyons, another one wrongfully convicted and exonerated. We'll be able to tell 
some of their experiences, what they actually observed and saw uh, behind the wall. And Dennis, when you talk about the abuse, the cruelty, uh, I'll tell you what, in the, in the, uh, and I'll yield to the veteran side, if you will, of your uh, uh, psyche, if you will, that in the, in the act of war, prisoners of war are treated better than what we are seeing uh, many times uh, in our prison system. We're seeing cruelty at the level that doesn't even rise to the level of, of uh, war crimes in a situation where you're talking about prisoners of war. Exactly. I mean, at, at least in uh, a war, I mean, as the Geneva Convention, I mean, there are rules, uh, there are guidelines in place of what you can do to, uh, you know, a prisoner of war. And, uh, and those guidelines are strictly adhered to, but... I think the problem with our prisons are uh, this mentality that, you know, what the punishment you received is not enough. And, and the, the, the mentality that people feel or, you know, like you're, you're, you're uh, the people in prison, the guards and, and, and police officers, stuff like that, feel like they have to inflict some punishment also. So I tell you, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's really, it's a hard thing. Until we make sure we got to make sure that our our security guards and our, all our, our prison guards and they understand that they've already been punished. Who are you to try to inflict punishment? Oh, absolutely. And Cliff, when you hear that uh, again, and some of the things we're going to hear tonight, whether it's uh, Sandra Bland uh, uh, being wrestled out of a car uh, for a traffic stop and taken into custody and mistreated and put in a holding cell, and all of those things on a traffic stop. Uh, ultimately uh, costing her her life, who they claim to be, they claimed it to be a suicide. That's uh, debatable. Uh, the young, I mean, it, the, the stories go on and on. Whether you're dealing with solitary confinement, caging animals, feeding them food that's not fit for human Out consumption. We are talking about issues that should not be tolerated in this country, but nobody is speaking out against it. How important it is that we raise at least this conversation to the people of America. It's extremely important because you have to also take into account the uh, inmates that are in prison that are wrongfully convicted exactly. and wrongfully in prison. And then you have the guards that feel like they're there to uh, to ensure that some punishment is met out. When the, the punishment, and I've said it before, the punishment is the fact that you your freedom has been taken right. away. You are away from society. You are away from your family. Uh, you are under restraint. You can't go anywhere. But then to have the personnel that they're to, supposed to be to watch over you and ensure your safety, then they feel like it's their job to make sure that you're punished for whatever you did. And, again, those that haven't committed a crime, who are there fighting their convictions, fighting their incarceration, they end up going through the same thing and never should have been in there in the first place. And even the ones who are guilty, I mean, they still have, uh, you know, the basic human rights to be treated uh, you know, like a human. But so many times we see abuse that's going on behind the wall, and it, it, it needs to stop. It, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be uh, exposed and dealt with. No, absolutely. And uh, these are these are very, ladies and gentlemen, and Lisa, uh, as we uh, again continue to chime in on these issues, uh, these are issues that continue exactly. to come up, continue to be an issue. And I'll tell you what, you'll see commercials, and listen, I love animals just like the next one. I, I mean, I'm an animal lover. I love dogs, any type of animal, baby elephants, whatever you call it. We like all of them. But I'll tell you this, uh, you see more care. you got commercials saying, please, these 
These animals have been abused and locked in cages, and it's inhumane. Please reach out and donate. Yes. But you're caging human beings. Lamont, I've tweeted out to some of the people who are advocates for these animal rights places, and I agree with you. I love animals, too. And I'm tweeting and saying, why? What, I understand the concern for the animals, animals out there, but what about the human beings that are locked up there treated worse than the animals? Nobody seems to care. No one is focusing on the way that these people are being treated. No, no, absolutely. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get in on the conversation tonight, I guarantee you this is going to be a humdinger. Feel free to call in 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. Get into this conversation. It is critically important. If you feel like this type of treatment needs to stop, and that's the best way I can – this is not an option. These are human beings, and many of them, what they suffer behind the wall, what would they sit us by a judge for if this type of cruel and unusual punishment continues? You're talking about sexual assault on yes. inmates by guards. You know what I mean? You're talking about violent uh, rapes, violent uh, aggression, uh, where guards look the other way. These are human beings who have family members out here who are going to visit them sometimes every week, sometimes not. And you simply put these people in a cage and you destroy every type of emotional, physical, uh, psychological strength or anything that they may have had. You strip them of that by the condition in our prison systems. And somebody has to be answerable uh, for that. Uh, we, these people have to be called in question, and it's so easy to use the line, well, these officers are in a dangerous situation in these prisons. Listen to me. I've been in prison wrongfully convicted seven years, and I don't care whether you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. There is an issue with somebody who wants to prove a point, somebody that wants to say I'm tougher than you with a badge. Exactly. And then there's no, there's no, you know, there's no, uh, there's no repercussions, you know. So if you do do, if that prison guard does does something uh, to a, a prisoner, and it's like, and so, I mean, he deserved it or she deserved it. I mean, that's why they're in prison is because they're a minister to society, and we're going to straighten them out so that when they go back to society, that they're they're going to do the right thing. But again, who gave you that power to you know to inflict additional punishment but for what someone is already serving prison time for like like cliff said i mean being in prison your freedom being taken away indeed that is truly enough but no now we want to like you said we want to hurt them we want to take away uh privileges we want to deny them uh, you know the, the the basic needs uh something has to be done it needs to be done quick no absolutely and ladies and gentlemen we got a lot to talk about tonight uh, and we're going to get into that conversation, and uh, uh, we're very um, uh, excited, not really excited is the wrong word, we're very moved, if you will, uh, to discuss and bring this issue to the table uh, of the American people. These are issues that have to be addressed, that have to be dealt with uh, as a result of a lot of things uh, that we see wrong with our criminal justice system. It doesn't stop at the courtroom. It doesn't stop. Uh, in county jail. Actually, a lot of it starts in county jail, and it just continues on in the prison system. Uh, and these are things we're not going to tolerate. We're going to have to cry out against these type of things. Uh, and Cliff, we were talking a little bit about one form of abuse. Uh, Senator Booker uh, uh, presses Federal Bureau of Prisons for status update. 
uh, regarding some things. Why don't you tell the folks about what that about? Excuse me, what that's about? Right, um, Senator Booker of uh, New Jersey sent a letter to Thomas Kane, who's the acting director of the Federal Bureau of Pr- Prisons. And two years ago, you know, before uh, Director Samuels left, Congress was grilling uh, DOJ, uh, uh, you know, basically about what's going on in BOP. So the inspector general there found thousands of, in- of instances of federal inmates being released from prison after their release date. And they said at least 157, they, they, uh, the IG report found more than 4,300 inmates were released up to, you know, 9,000, I mean, uh, 90 days after their release date. And they said at least 157 of those cases were untimely due to staff error likely, due, likely uh, that did not contribute to the most untimely releases. And so Senator Booker said, I'm concerned about reports that BOP lack complete information on the circumstances of any inmates' release. And so now, two years later, he's saying, where is the updated information? You got the report from the inspector general, 4,300 people kept in prison after their time, and you haven't done anything. So he's pressing uh, BOP. He's saying the attorney general, they already spoke. They want to know. I mean, the inspector general, they already spoke. They want to know what's going on. So Senator Booker, Booker has taken that upon himself to say, uh, you know, you're increasing the crowding rate, you're increasing, uh, you know, security issues and all these things because you are not releasing people when they're supposed to be released. And the the fact of the matter is, and he speaks to it, he says, given the Inspector General's troubling findings, I request a written response from, from BOP on what actions, if any, the agency has taken since the release of the Inspector General report to ensure that no federal inmate has been held or will be held longer than the length of the sentence a federal judge imposed upon them. Your release date is the day you are supposed to walk out. You're not supposed to stay there one day later, and they're showing up to 90 days later that they still have these people locked up in prison. I mean, so, you know, a person does 10 years, say, you know, hey, I did my time. And and imagine in that time where you had a clerical error that, God forbid, uh, a person end up getting killed, and you were supposed to already be out of prison 90 days ago. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. I mean, come on now. I mean, <laughs> there there we go again about you know the lack of passion, uh, the the you know monstrous uh, uh, classification of inmates. So who cares? So what? It's exactly. 90 days. So what? You know, you get out late. Hey, just be happy you're getting out, and uh, we got to get it fixed. And I, and and hopefully, you know, they'll try to come up with something. But I can tell you the answer already about the findings. Uh, they haven't even started looking yet. Right. So exactly. there probably like, well, are no findings. This is what the report shows, but what are we going to do about it? Pretty much absolutely nothing. And those are the type of things that have to change because, I mean, come on. A person spends that much time in prison. They've paid their debt to society. Now time for them, them to get out. Let them out. No, absolutely, and those are things that have to be uh, dealt with. We're going to deal with that on the other side of this break, folks. We're going to get into the conversation, inmates' lives matter. Did you hear me? Inmates' lives matter. The preconceived notion that anybody in jail or prison should be there, that they deserve whatever they get, is absolutely ridiculous. And when do we draw the line and say enough is enough? We're going to dig into that conversation along with our guests that are going to join us on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice 
all around the world. We'll be right back as we visit this important topic in Make Lives Matter. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 
4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always... God bless America. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we dig into a controversial issue that has been swept under the carpet, and tonight we pull the carpet back on the abuse, the cruel and unusual punishment of inmates behind bars. And tonight, the topic of our show is that inmates' lives matter. And tonight, we're going to get into that conversation. And uh, welcome back. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the AJC radio team tonight, addressing some very troubling uh, issues that need to be addressed, and uh, we're going we're gonna to take some time tonight to take you on this journey with us, uh, as I'm sure there are loved ones uh, that you may know uh, that are uh, incarcerated, and you would like to believe that they are being treated at a minimum uh, with humanity, true humanity and, a, and the human spirit uh, of America, and we find that not to be the case, uh, that there's abuse, there are rapes there are ignored problems there are medical issues ignored there are treatments uh, that are ignored that are not being given to inmates in this country who are behind bars and that's at the state level as well as the federal level and speaking from experience on a couple of things that I have actually witnessed and seen myself and experienced myself uh, the inhumane treatment, uh, we had a situation where I was very, very sick with the flu, uh, and a guard comes up. I wanted to go actually to the chow hall at Buena Vista, uh, prison in, in Buena Vista, Colorado, uh, and I was moving slow because I was sick with the flu. I couldn't really do much. And uh, as I, in, in Buena Vista, they pop the doors, and once they open the doors, you have to wait because people are coming out at a very fast rate. I'm on the third floor. Uh, if you come out too quick, you could knock somebody off of that tier. Uh, so I, on top of that being sick, so there's just precaution. And uh, I get ready to come out. They shut the door on me. And I almost get stuck in between the door. Uh, and the guard says, shut the door. He's not going to chow hall tonight. 
hadn't done one thing wrong. And my cellmate that was there made the statement. He said he's really, really sick. I don't care what he is. He's not going to chow. I sat there for a moment and I said, man, I need to go. He comes to the cell, tells me to put my hands behind my back. And I said, for what reason? Put your hands behind your back. You're going to the captain's office. I said, okay. I had no energy to argue. Let's go. Uh, As I got ready to move, he jerked me and said, don't try to fight me. I was not trying to fight him in any way. But he wanted a reason to do something and to act. And it, it, it speaks to just that type of attitude in the prison system will get somebody killed. Exactly. I happen to be sick, but you run across, you run, come across the person that's looking at 30 or 40 years, that's looking at 90 or 100 years. He'll just, he'll, he'll just throw you over the chair. And we wonder why, and it's not about the inmate. You have inmates, of course, that are just unruly and out of control. Understand that. But in that situation, if you treated me that way and I was just sick, and when I get to the captain's office looking for justice to say I didn't do anything, my Sally comes down there and says, um, Captain so-and-so, he didn't do anything. She comes out the back room from talking to the officer, Mr. Banks, you're going to the hall. No reason. And when you're in prison, the last place you want to go is to the hole. It's doing time in time. And these are things, and, that, and that's just one of many. And some, you get down to the hole, you're handcuffed, you're chained around your waist, you're chained around your ankles. And guess what? They're not going to unchain you to take off your jumpsuit or your clothes. So in, in prison, you, you have what they call a signed green. So you have a shirt, you have pants, boxers, T-shirt, whatever. They chain you. And say, we can't unchain you until you get undressed. So you're struggling there to take off your clothes completely confined. And by the time you're done, you got scratches on you from the chains because there's no clothes on. And I said to the guy, I said, why can't I be undressed? I'm in, I got three or four guards here looking at me undressed. I can't go anywhere. Exactly. Can you let me have my clothes? You stand there for about five minutes with nothing on, humiliated, while four guards look at you undressed. These are the type of things that form a culture of abuse. And that's just one thing. When you hear that, Dennis, I see the look on your face. Talk to me. It's, it's appalling. It's, I tell you, it's, it's something about giving man power over another individual it it just i'm telling you it amazes me how you know even though you did absolutely nothing because i've been legally given the power to do whatever i want to whomever i want today i woke up not feeling not not in a good mood so i'm going to take it out on the inmate and that's 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 sad because again, here we go back to no accountability. And until there is accountability for, you know, officers doing things that they shouldn't do or, you know, they're being held accountable for it, they're going to continue to do it because, again, it's all about power. I have that power. I can do whatever I want, and uh, there's nobody to just stop me. 
uh, as as uh, Lamont alluded to, you know, he went to the captain, and of course they took the guard side. I mean, come on, uh, something has to be done. And they always say, you know, well, if you got you know some type of discrepancy with one with what uh, one of the correctional officers is saying, exactly, write a grievance. And we'll have a hearing, and basically, you know, it can be your word against his, and your law, your law. I mean, and you're done. Yeah, there is. <laughs> how many times do you think? Well, the captain's going to take your word as the inmate over the word of one of his, uh, over one of his officers. It's totally insane, and you end up with the inmate having absolutely no rights. And again, this could be an innocent person, like in Lamont's case. Yes. It's like, okay, my my case got turned or got uh, turned over. Completely overturned. Exonera- overturned. I'm sorry. Completely exonerated of all the charges. Like it, like it, it never like it happened never because happened. it, because it didn't, it didn't. But you still had to suffer the abuse at the hands of the correctional. Officer. Unbelievable. And joining us right now, uh, we have a gentleman that has suffered some uh, things and has seen some things as I have. Uh, of course, he spent a lot longer amount of time wrongfully convicted uh, behind bars in Illinois. Uh, and tonight we bring him on to share his story uh, and to talk to us about inmates' lives really matter, but the perception is when you live it behind the wall, they don't seem to matter at all. Joining us right now, Mark Clements, how are you this evening? Hey, uh, I am doing wonderful, and uh, I was listening to you describe uh, the system, and only those that have been there understand that language and I fully understood, especially when you said child hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well Mark, we're glad that you're here tonight and as we deal with this very troubling issue in American prisons, uh and and the abuse and we, we haven't even got into it yet. We haven't played one clip tonight sharing some of the abuse, mm-hmm. solitary confinement and the things. But nobody can tell the story as you say unless you've been there. And I'd like to just give yeah. you the floor, Mark, to just share. Uh, again, you were wrongfully convicted, spent a long mm-hmm. time, and you saw some things. You want to hear a little bit about some of the abuse that you saw, some of the reckless behavior that you saw that the American people honestly need to know what's going on. As, as we say tonight, inmates' lives matter. Yes. And, you know, when I first entered uh, the system in 1981, uh prisons were somewhat uh you could understand the conditions you knew how to maneuver in those conditions yes they were violent uh inmate upon inmate wise but you did not see the psychological abuse inside of our prisons until uh, the Bill Clinton administration, and that had to be somewhere around 1994-95. Our prison systems begin to strip all services and all opportunity. Uh, Therefore, the guards became abusive, and they became to be individuals that basically – enjoyed abusing and placing people inside of, uh, we called it segregation, and to be placed in some of the most degrading uh, situations. Uh, Segregation uh, is an area where that 
mostly those that were suffering from mental illness were kept and there were always someone to put feces on the wall or to urinate uh, and the gallery smelled as a result of that. Uh, the guards would be very restrictive towards you. Today, our prison system amounts to only one word, torture. And many people fail to realize that, uh, you know, here it is, we have a prison system, and the prison system is designed uh, to better the individual. Well, what we have seen time and time again across this nation is that individuals enter into our prison systems with some problems and leave out with many problems, and one of the biggest problems is how are they going to survive in this society, which basically offers them nothing but a minimum wage type living. As a result of the abuse that they have suffered, uh, you know, the United Nations uh, really needs to take a very overall in-depth review of our prison systems and to uh, classify it for what it is. And it is torture. These are human beings. Yes, most have uh, uh, committed offenses. Most are inside of prisons. However, they are inside of those prisons for decades and decades uh, in which there is no meaningful purpose in their lives because there's no sense of rehabilitation unless you call locking someone inside of a prison cell for 23 hours of the day and to be abusive towards them, male arriving inside of our prisons three weeks late, uh, individuals being deprived to attend their mothers and fathers' funerals because they don't have this outrageous amount of money to uh, uh, pay the guards eight, nine, and ten uh, hundred dollars to go to uh, a funeral, and we are not as a nation of people fully understanding that the growth of these inhumane conditions begin to creep in under the Bill Clinton administration. Many people fail to realize the damage of what Bill Clinton did to prisons. And as a result of his damage, we have many people that are humanly scarred. They are grown individuals walking the, uh, society and they look grown. It looks like they can function, but they cannot function. They have missed out of society decades and decades of their lives, and now they're released out of our prison system and they're told to survive. So no, we have, you know, no, we ahead, have fallen for the okie doke much too long and taxpayers I mean taxpayers need to be outraged 
this stuff has deprived their children of fair education. This stuff, all because the system wanted to degrade itself. It wanted now to turn penalties that were not penalties to send people to prison to make it penalties to send people to prison. And that is the bulk of our overcrowding within our prison system. And as a result of the overcrowding and because prison officials don't have a clue of what rehabilitation look like, they stripped rehabilitation. That way now the media is not obligated to go ask them, well, what is their rehabilitation? Rehabilitation plan. So we live in a society is claiming to believe in redemption. Where is the redemption for men and women that have went to prison? We need to examine these prisons immediately. We need to bring the UN to examine these prisons. We need to classify them as torture. We need to bring healing to those that have suffered as a result of these foul conditions, human-made policies of torture, to torture human beings behind a closed wall. And then once you have uh, reprogrammed these people to accept this abuse, then you just loose them out on this society and society re-abuse them again because they're very fragile human beings. And this is a very touchy Issue to me, and that is one of the reasons why I agree uh, to do this radio program because it's very touching. It makes me want to cry to see how the mentally ill is treated inside of a prison, how they're strapped down, how they're marked by guards, how they are missed treated by the prison system as a whole, and then they get the inmates to turn on the brother because he's mentally ill. What well, type of mess is that? No, I'll tell you that, Mark. Uh, and the fact that he's mentally ill, he should not be behind bars. At the end of the day, he should Absolutely be Absolutely right. And right now, I'll take a moment, ladies and gentlemen, as we pause for a moment to remember Mary Neal. It was brought to our attention this afternoon that she has passed away. Uh, she is an advocate, honestly, for the, and a strong advocate against the treatment, the horrible treatment of the mentally yes. ill. Uh, and, Mark, I don't know if you're aware of who she is, uh, but she yes, has been I a, do. Okay, she's been a huge voice. Uh, on, you know, she's been on this show. I've talked to her personally before. And our condolences go out to her and her uh, to her family, uh, and our thoughts and prayers are with them tonight as we uh, reflect on her. So as you bring up the mentally ill and the struggles there, and one point to uh, clarify that uh, former President Bill Clinton uh, was asked recently uh, in regards of the uh, of the uh, legislation mark that you speak of, uh, and, mm-hmm. and President Bill Clinton made it very clear that at that time people were scared of the uh, uh, the rise in crime in the country at that time, he has since retracted and said he made a bad decision there, that if he could go back and do it over, in all fairness to the president, I just make that point as we bring that point up. Uh, there are things that administrations do uh, that have to be corrected. It's part of a live and learn situation. My concern at this point is the fact, what have we done since then? We've had 
uh, several administrations, uh, exactly. two, two administrations. We have, we, have, we have members of Congress who are voted in every four years, sometimes two. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have mm-hmm. they done at this point? To, we know what mistakes may have been made, and again, the president acknowledged the fact those were some mistakes of his administration. But now we have to move forward. How do we fix that? Uh, the bipartisan uh, uh, efforts, if you will, that's happening now uh, on Capitol Hill to bring prison reform, to address the issues, Mark, that you passionately talk about, that we need to do something. Yes. And I think we need to do even more uh, than what we're doing and get our members of Congress and get our president involved to say, look, it is clear that we have a major problem in this country. I'd like you, Mark, if you can, you talk about the torture. I'm going to let you hear a clip that we put together in regards to, uh, again, inmates' lives matter, but when you hear this clip, I, I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts, and, li- and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to get your thoughts after we play it. I want to get what you think, okay. okay? All right, let's play it. Yes, sir. And there you have it, Mark. And to our listeners, what you just heard were the sounds of solitary confinement. That You didn't hear conversation. You didn't hear, hey, what can I do to better myself? How can I get out of this situation? Mark, when you first heard all of the sounds of, the, of solitary confinement, what did it sound like to you? Well, it sounded like uh, someone being trapped inside of their cell. 
uh, it sound like uh, maybe a mental breakdown because that's what a lot of people else just basically they want the guards and they, they bang and they are ignored, you know. So the guards uh, have their little routine on how they want to do things and, and maybe after a certain period of time they don't come back around. But uh, it definitely sounds like a, uh, a a nervous breakdown, a individual in need of response. Absolutely. And when you hear it to me, uh, you don't have wild animals in kennels. No, you don't. You're making right. noises like that. And we just, how does America justify treating inmates or any human being on this level? It's amazing to me, and we ignore they it. They are paid. Go ahead, Mark. Mm-hmm. I, w- I just wanted to say one thing is that I raise this subject almost every day, and I confront lawmakers almost every day. The real meat and potatoes of it is is that this shows you what human beings are willing to do for a paycheck. If you don't give them a paycheck, they'll call it cruel and unusual punishment overnight. With a paycheck, they'll turn their head. And believe it or not, at the end of the day, most of those guards that work inside of those prisons are not wealthy individuals. So that means that they craftily pull them out of the hood and they bring them in. They give them a decent little uh, wage to live off of but they're not rich by any means. So in other words, they're willing to turn the blind eye to their brothers, to their sisters, all for a paycheck or whatever little gains that they can get. Because, you know, in Illinois and, matter of fact, all over the nation, I have known uh, all type of schemes and scams and stuff to be going on with these prisons, but at the end of the day, uh, the price is right, and he has billions of dollars invested into the prison system, and it's all about money, and it feeds down to the little poor people. So the little poor people getting these paychecks, and they just happy that they got a job, and they willing to do any and everything, including kill you for that paycheck. Oh, absolutely. I do agree with you there. And, Mark, joining us right now in this conversation, uh, we are uh, joined by George Malincrot, who is going to join us right now, who has uh, been on our program before. He's an author, a psychotherapist, and he's going to chime in on this conversation that inmates, inmates' mm-hmm. lives matter. And, uh, George, are you with us? Yes. Hi, everybody. Hey, Mark. I uh, I was on Hello. your show a while back. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes. I know who you, you are. Each other. Yes. Okay. And, 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 George, how much of the conversation have you heard thus far this evening? Uh, I've heard it all. And, um, you know, I, I agree. The, uh, the prison system is like a boat that's sinking and it's got so many holes it's hard to figure out which hole to plug first but you know we need to go about it one hole at a time 
and you, the the one thing that you know, and, and I'm I'm speaking uh, about the Florida prison system because that's where I worked. I worked in a uh, psychiatric setting in a uh, uh, it was called a TCU, a transitional care unit for the mentally ill uh, down in Florida City, and the guards there were embedded in this culture of brutality and and to be sure there were some really uh stand up guards in fact uh i profiled one of the guards in my book uh that i had the pleasure of working with and he really worked hard to make sure that the patients had their toilet paper their soap you know he he tried to do right by them but there were a whole bunch of other guards that uh, they took it upon themselves to just make these uh, men men's lives horrible. And, you know, these are my patients. You know, this is a psychiatric unit. And, you know, they would go by and instigate these severely mentally ill men into banging their heads against the wall or the door, kicking the door for hours, screaming and yelling. And, um, you know, we want our patients to be calm as possible, not riled up a lot. And so that was one of the games they played. They often didn't feed the patients. And uh, I was called to this one-man cell, and he was severely mentally ill, and he was flinging his food tray at the window. And uh, I this is early on when I just started working there, and I – I was thinking to myself, if if he's flinging the food tray, where's the food? There's no food in his entire cell. And I wrote that off as, oh, this man is just mentally ill. He's having a psychotic episode. Little did I know they were starving the guy. So, you know, this was just a, a commonplace occurrence in the unit where I worked. And, you know, I got wise to it after a while. And when one of my patients was – taken to a hallway where there are no cameras and cuffed behind his back and thrown to the floor and, you know, kicked by four or five guards, you know, I couldn't sit still for that. And I tried to raise awareness and do something about the abuse of our, our patient, uh, our patients. And I was met with silence. And so that's what we're up against. We're up against administrators and heads of these psychiatric units that don't want to ruffle any feathers. They just want to sweep the beatings under the door. And, uh, you know, but it's it's coming out more and more. And uh, down in Florida, we had a horrific death of a man by the name of Darren Rainey. Uh, guards put him in a specially rigged shower and blasted him with water that was over 180 degrees. And they scalded him to death. Ninety percent of his skin was peeling off. So when Mark said it was torture, it is torture. I, I want your listeners to know this is for real. They are torturing the severely mentally ill in prisons and jails around this country. No, absolutely, Cliff. No, I was gonna say it speaks to um you know what you talk about, George, speaks to the culture of what's going on inside these prison systems from, uh, you know, the guards are being allowed to do this by their, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, their upper management. And even if you see it even coming into, you know, into the into the hospital ward, into the the uh, 
you know, the, the mental ward that, okay, there's just rampant abuse. And we hear time after time after time stories about uh, Florida's prison systems that, uh, you know, like Mr. Rainey, you, you get scalded to death until all your skin peels off. And then they say, well, no, it was a, it was a accidental death and they won't be, uh, there won't be any charges brought. And time and time again, we hear about all the deaths in Florida. Nobody is held accountable. So it, it points to the culture of what the upper management is allowing to go on in their facilities. Every one of those uh, guards that were involved in Mr. Rainey's situation should have been put on leave. and should have been left on leave without pay until a full, thorough, uh, you know, investigation, an unbiased investigation by a third party found out what was going on. But, you know, the uh, the 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 uh, war doctor, the prison doctor we had come on the show uh, who said, you know, he reported to the FBI. He gave them his testimony. He told them of all the testimonies of, um, you know, of all the inmates who were there in that in that hospital ward who said who told the FBI what they saw. And they still still said, well, there's there's nothing happened here that was criminal. This was an accidental death. Those are the type of things that when you give the corrections officers say, hey, you know, you got to out. So do whatever you want to to whomever you want to. And the bottom line is, just like we see in law enforcement, make a statement. I felt my life was on the line or the lives of my fellow officers in the prison system. It was it was an accident. The inmate was uh, being violent. And when we went to, you know, put him in a cell for his own for his own safety, this is what happened to him. And it has to stop. But it speaks to the culture of what is allowed in the prison system. That is why it continues to happen. Oh, absolutely. And gentlemen, if you can, we're going to uh, take a break and you can come back with us, I presume. Is that correct? Can both of you come back with us? Yes. Okay. And we're waiting. Another gentleman uh, is going to be coming on uh, by the name of Nino Lyons. He's going to be joining us on the other side of this break as well. Uh, and we, we just, we're just enjoying the conversation because it's important that the conversation be had. And ladies and gentlemen of America, feel free to dial in to 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. Joined tonight by two extraordinary gentlemen, Mark Clemens, a wrongfully convicted uh, individual that has suffered huge, uh, what word do you use, abuse and every type of negativity or adjective that you can come up with. Uh, and he is a survivor fighting for justice. Uh, we're joined also by George Malincrot, also addressing the issue and asking the question to you, America, do inmates' lives matter? We believe they do. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio where we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders, 
30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the We'll see you then. Today's profile features Joseph Nahum Green. On the evening of December 8, 1992, Judy Muscali, the editor of a society page of the Bradford County Telegraph, was shot during a robbery in a phone booth outside a convenience store in Stark, Florida. Green was sentenced to death for the murder of Judy Muscali, who in a dying statement described her attacker as a skinny black man. Police focused on Green, who recently had arrived in the area from Miami and fit the description. A purported eyewitness with a 67 IQ initially described the killer as a white man wearing brown pants. Later, however, the witness positively identified the African-American Green in a one-person police lineup. Although Green appeared to have an airtight alibi, he was convicted based on the testimony of the lone eyewitness. The Florida Supreme Court ordered a new trial, however, based on an erroneous pretrial ruling and ordered that a retrial, if any, be held in a different venue. The case was moved to Gainesville, where a judge found the purported eyewitness was incompetent to testify. The state was forced to drop the charges, 
Green is African-American, the victim, Caucasian. This has been a profile of the wrongly convicted with AJC Radio. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is no exception as we seek justice for inmates behind bars. And we pose the question to America, do inmates' lives matter? And the answer uh, overwhelmingly is absolutely yes, they do. But unfortunately, our system and our culture is not living up to that expectation. And tonight we address those issues as we have joining us tonight, Mark Clements, a former wrongfully convicted uh, gentleman who was wrongfully convicted. He is an advocate now of raising concerns and, and having conversations about what he experienced through that ordeal. Also joining us is Jordan Malacrot, an author, psychotherapist, uh, actually giving some insight from that viewpoint. Uh, the abuse of the mentally ill behind bars is i'm telling you is overwhelming and as we said earlier tonight our special condolences go out to mary neal an advocate for the rights of the mentally ill and a true advocate who i've had the opportunity to talk to she has been on our show uh learned today that she has passed away and uh we are very very sorry to hear that uh in my opinion gone too soon with the work that she was doing and we will uh our prison our thoughts will stay uh, uh with her family and and her friends and uh Again, our sincere condolences there. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Are you still with us? Yes, I'm yes. here. Okay, and thank you so much uh, for your insight thus far in this conversation. I'll tell you what, um, it is something uh, that really makes a difference uh, to have this dialogue. Dennis, as you have heard from Mark and George tonight, addressing these issues and hearing what you're hearing, as George alluded to, a patient starved to death behind the wall, a mentally ill patient. Uh, and uh, Dennis, give uh, Mark and uh, George your thoughts on thus, thus far the conversation and what, what it's meant to you as far as what they've had to say. Yeah, I, I'm listening and I'm hearing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's tragic that, you know, things like that go on in our prison system. Uh, but one of the things I truly believe, there has to be transparency. Uh, we have to, as taxpayers, be able to see what, what our dollars are actually paying for. Are we paying uh, to abuse prisoners? Uh, uh, again, he talked about minimum wage. Uh, you know, they, they make absolutely nothing. Uh, 
uh, yet yet they're required to do quite a bit. But I tell you, uh, hearing the conversation, and we need more of it. Uh, we need more people uh, out there like George and uh, Mark. I tell you, to to bring an awareness to uh, this this our, our society. It's so sad that until a family member or a friend of yours is put in that position, is put in prison, then uh, we 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 open our voices and we yell. Uh, we need to be yelling before that happens. You know, we need to yell that to ensure that we prevent, uh, you know, people from going to prison and then being treated like animals. But I, I, I applaud you both, and I appreciate what you're saying, and and keep saying it. I tell you, until we get enough voices, the more voices you got, the louder, the the, the louder the noise is, and uh, you know, the, the more people that that'll actually hear. But again. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank no, you, absolutely. Thank you, no, absolutely, and we appreciate it. And and I'm going to go to Mark on this. Mark, you you kept referencing torture, torture, torture. Give the give the listeners a little bit of an example of something you saw, maybe one of the most horrific types of torture during your wrongful incarceration. Well, you know well, there you know, was there a. Was a Young, Young man, man by the name, by the name of, of Preston McDowell. And Preston McDowell, he had mental issues. Uh, and the guards would pick on him at the Pontiac prison. And one Saturday morning in 2004, uh, one of the guards uh, wanted to uh, pick on him because he stated that he felt like hurting himself. Well, they turned this situation of this guy stating that he felt like he wanted to hurt himself into that he was holding a hostage. And they went into the cell. They had maced him down with about three to four cans of mace wow. and they drug him out of that cell and took him downstairs and they claimed that he attempted to assault them and they had to restrain him well they cut his air off and they strangled him to death and that case was under great scrutiny for some time in the state of Illinois. However, it did not lead to any criminal charges, and that is what happens nine out of ten times out of these types of cases is that it never leads to any types of criminal charges, and the guards, therefore, now feels more motivated to continue its criminal behavior. And that criminal behavior is very severe. It's very costly to the taxpayers because the taxpayers, at the end of the day, end, end up paying settlements. And then those settlements, those totals end up adding up. I have known people that were mentally ill to be sexually assaulted by other inmates and guards, intentionally putting the, those mentally ill uh, inmates into the cells so that they could be uh, victimized by uh, people who wanted to victimize them. 
And I just feel that it is so wrong for society as a whole to know these things because they do know these things. And then to suspect for individuals to go inside of these hell holes and then to return back on some type of pace which they're going to be functionable. No, this is torture. And when people have been tortured, they need treatment. They have been tortured psychologically, they have been tortured mentally, and they have been tortured physically. So that's what we need to deal with, and we need, uh, in great respect, Miss Hillary Clinton, uh, if she is to become to be our president, to fight to repeal her husband's legislation, or I'm just going to be honest, Men and women that enter inside of a prison, they have no opportunity of survival in what is considered to be society, not on a normal level unless they are partially living out in the street. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, that's definitely uh, uh, that's definitely true. And uh, joining us also on this call, and, and George, I'm going to get your thoughts on what Mark just said as soon as we introduce our next guest. And Mr. Nino Lyons, uh, actually another man wrongfully convicted and exonerated. And uh, tonight we have the privilege of having him on our show to give his insight as we pose the question to America tonight, Inmates' Lives Matter. And Nino, are you there? I'm here. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good, Nino. Thanks for joining us tonight. As And uh, you've heard some of this conversation, I'm sure. Give us your thoughts as we have talked about Basically, in my inmates in American prisons have gone forgotten, and they have been uh, mistreated, tortured, everything you can think of. Uh, give us your thoughts on what you've heard. Have you heard most of the program tonight? Yes, I've heard quite a bit of the program. And one of the things I want to bring up, uh, at least here in Florida, uh, some of the things that I've seen. And most of the time, the torture and abuse, it starts with the actual either correctional officers or what we consider jailers themselves. And then with that being said, the inmates know who they can target and there's not going to be any retaliation or punishment from them. Uh, For instance, in Seminole County Jail, you have uh, correctional officers that purposely will ignore an inmate's request for medicine whether they know that inmate is actually sick or not. Uh, Unfortunately, also, when any of us go into the criminal justice system, when we're incarcerated, we're automatically assumed to be guilty. So, therefore, we're treated less than second-class citizens. We're not, you know, treated as inmates uh, that may be worthy of an opportunity or, or to be treated like human beings. So, therefore, we're denied medical attention. Uh, A lot of times they say inmates just want, you know, someone to pay attention to them. So, therefore, they ignore requests for medical. Um, I've seen where, and I've not only seen, I've been a part of where uh, an inmate has complained about the food or something like that, and one of the ways they've retaliated against that inmate, or or including uh, myself, is Rather than you get a sandwich that has peanut butter and jelly the way that they are supposed to be giving it to you, they will give you a slice of bread 
with a thumbnail of peanut butter just to say that you got fed. Now, wow. mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not telling you what what I've heard from inmates. I'm telling you what I experienced when I was wrongfully incarcerated. And if you write them up, that's just like the police policing themselves. You've got to give it to another CO or the warden, and guess what? Nine times out of ten, as I heard the gentleman say earlier, nothing's going to happen. So that gives the correctional officer even more incentive to say, I am who I am, and you can't do anything to me. Wow. And and that's exactly right, ladies and gentlemen of America. As Nino clearly demonstrated uh, as he spoke there, this is something that people are living. I've lived it. Uh, Nino has lived it. Mark has lived it. And countless others have lived. Uh, So you say, well, how do you know this is going on? We lived it. We woke up every morning. Getting, putting on greens and going to the chow hall and dealing with correctional officers, stripping you out and humiliating you and, and all those. We have lived the nightmare at different times in our lives. And, and George, as, as you heard Nino talking, give me your perspective and your viewpoint of, of exactly the depth of that. Well, it, it goes really deep, and I think it goes all the way to the corporate level because – What's happening is people go into prison a certain way, and they leave prison worse, okay? So we're not helping people become better. We're making them worse, and that plays right into the hands of these corporate companies that provide medical and mental health services, uh, companies that run the prisons like – the Corrections Corporation of America, the GEO Group, uh, they know what the problem is. But, you know, since their business model is dependent on amassing live bodies, the more bodies that are in prison, the greater their profits. So they're not interested in uh, turning down the culture of brutality and cover-up. They're not interested in prison reform. They're not interested in jail diversion programs or programs to keep the severely mentally ill out of prison. They're not even interested in training their employees to recognize inmate abuse. In my employee's manual for Corizon Health, it had one sentence only about inmate abuse, and it said, employees shall not abuse inmates in any manner. We weren't abusing the inmates. The guards were. It offered no guidance in what to do when we witnessed abuse, how to report it, uh, and nothing. And so these, these prison companies, uh, they, they engage in a practice I call strategic non-interference. In other words, let's say the ship is going where you want it to go. Well, you know, just let it go off the way it's going. And so they're not taking any corrective action, and they know what the problems are, but they know that it, it'll affect their bottom line, so they stay silent. And here's the problem. A lot of legislators have campaign contributions coming from these huge prison companies that are striking these multi-billion dollar deals with state prisons and so their lobbyists are 
uh, purposefully suggesting to these legislators not to change any laws, not to not to reverse the war on drugs, or to decriminalize mental illness and also addiction. We should be treating addiction, not incarcerating people for it. The same thing with mental health issues, and yet there's very little movement in that direction. So this is something that, that I find really alarming, and that's why I speak out on this issue as much as I can. Every time I, I every chance I get, as a matter of fact. No, absolutely. And, 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 and he's absolutely correct. There is no uh, interest from the system itself in reforming uh, what's being done. There's no real interest in trying to do uh, diversion programs to keep inmates from going to prison because it's a, it's a for-profit business for them. Therefore, the more bodies, the more money for them. And, and it's so unfortunate because America is not trying to change what really needs to be changed. No, absolutely. And that definitely is something that, uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it. Uh, these are real nightmares. Uh, the people that have died in solitary confinement, the people that have died in custody. Uh, uh, I was in a, I was in the, the home at uh, one of the prisons I was at doing my wrongful incarceration. And I remember a guy was simply asking for a diet meal, a dietary meal, which, you know, if you're diabetic, uh, they, your meal is different from what everybody else is eating. And they refused to give this man his meal. He was diabetic. And do you know when he kept banging on the door asking, can I please, you know, if you're diabetic, you have to eat. But he couldn't eat the stuff. That, that's why you have a dietary tray. That's what that's for. And do you know they came into that into the whole area, and this particular hole had bars, so they wasn't doors. And so if they start spraying pepper spray, I'm in trouble. This guy's next door to me. And they came in, I'm talking about 10 deep, with armor on. This is the culture. Because That's the man correct. is asking for something to eat. He's asking for something to eat. They came in and pepper sprayed this guy and drug him out of that cell as if he had committed the cardinal sin. He asked for a piece of food wow. that was proper for a diabetic. And this goes to uh, Nino, Mark, George. This goes to one thing. Our culture is so messed up behind the wall. And it is, it is, here's the bad part. It is so hidden from the public. The most of the public has no idea until you start, as you said, George. You start, uh, George. You start coming out and speaking against this type of thing, this type of abuse. And until we speak out against it and say, you know what, we cannot tolerate this because that is somebody's son behind that wall. That is somebody's brother. You know what I mean? That is somebody's husband. And how do we right. as a nation pat ourselves on the back and go to bed at night thinking we're better? Than the other countries. When I've done research on other prisons in other countries, they live a very nice life. Of, I mean, in, in prison, and their return rate, I forget how low that number was. But you didn't have it. I mean, people just didn't go back. It wasn't about putting them in cages like animals. And I remember being in the correct, home one day. Correct. 
And you know what they did? They brought a whole bunch of people in suits and like they had on their Sunday best. And I remember being in the hole there. This was at Kit Carson Prison here in Colorado. And when uh-huh. they came through the hole, you thought they were at a zoo. Wow. Because when they walked by, they pointed and looked as if, well, look at him. What is he doing? And you're here? Wow. You're sitting here thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is, I don't know if Mark and Nino ever experienced that, but it's like, you know, let's, let's, get, let's get the animals up in the cages. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us your and, thoughts and on I'll Mark t- and Nino. I've got to hear from you on that one. Well, well, well I'll tell you another thing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, in Colorado whether or not they do this, but down here in Florida, you know, it's, it's hot all the time. And I've, when I was in Seminole County, for instance, there are times when inmates did not have shirts on because, you know, it's hot. And, and that was a normal thing for people to walk around without shirts. Where if, if you were considered uh, an agitator or something like that, uh, if you complain about a guard or if you complain about the food or if you said uh, there was something wrong, you know, cleanliness, then when you came from recreation, for instance, and you came out uh, with no shirt on, they would sometimes tell you, go in the cell. Well, they would turn the air conditioning down in that particular cell. If you were one of the ones that they wanted to target, you would be in a cell, air conditioned probably 55, 60 degrees, and I'm talking about freezing, freezing, with the only thing on is a pair of shorts, and that's it. And guess what? I've never seen one guard get in trouble. We've banged on the doors many a day saying, hey, this guy's freezing. He, you know, he's passing out. And I've never seen a guard reprimanded or anything after, even after the paperwork was done. Okay. Well, let me tell you, and not meaning to interrupt you, but this is Brother Mark Clements out of uh, Chicago. And I was listening to you explain air conditioning. We didn't have an air condition. So (laughs) for 28 years of my life, each summer was like torture, meaning you would have to sleep in weather that was like 100 degrees when you wake up and when you get ready to go to bed, it can reach much as like 115 to 20 inside of right. those prison cells. And okay. your body can only just lay there because you can only purchase one fan. They ain't going to give you a fan. You got to buy the fan. And the fan wow. costs you about 30 to $35 to purchase. So do you know what is stirring around in the cell house? Nothing but hot air, and you sit there, and you suffer. And the bottom line of it is is this. Until the people rise up to the fact that the laws that were – see, Reagan, he sold the seed for mass incarceration. And when – when Mr. Bill Clinton came in, then he, therefore, it sprung up. And when it sprung up, I'm talking about turning 
prison systems where that people had opportunities to learn. You had church groups who would come inside of the prison and teach these guys. And now it was prohibited for them to come inside of the, the prison to teach these guys. So now in America, we amount to nothing. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Mark, can you hear me? Yes. You're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if you've moved locations or not. We're going to take a quick break, try to get situated. I'd love to bring all all you three guys back uh, as we continue this conversation and get ready for the the last segment of the show. But I like that we're going to finish this conversation. Check your location, Mark, so we can hear you clearly. I think what you have to say is critically important. And, George, we're going to get your comments on some of the stuff we've heard. We've got a couple of clips we're going to play on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight, we ask the question, do inmates' lives matter? And I'll tell you right now, based upon this conversation, it says it does not matter at all what happens to inmates in this country. But we aim to change that here at A Just Cause and around the country. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming right back as we continue to bring the message of justice around the world. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more
more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception as we seek justice behind the wall. And tonight, joining us on a very special program, and the question we pose to America is, do inmates' lives matter? The question should be absolutely yes. But based upon the actions of wardens, of correctional officers and the culture within America's prison system, the answer is overwhelmingly no. As we have seen people die behind bars, we've seen them die in local and county jails, and we've seen them tortured, as Mark Clemens alluded to, behind the wall is nothing less than that. And they're joining us back on this conversation. Mark Clemens, George uh, Malincrot, and also uh, Nino Lyons are with us as folks. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to be with us this evening. Sure thing. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. I appreciate it. And we, we really appreciate you guys. And I'll tell you what, I was checking on a story uh, out of Texas uh, where uh, 
basically they set up air conditioning. Uh, and I'm just going to uh, read a little bit to you. It says there's something about the thought of air conditioning prisons that rankles Texas officials. Partly it's the cost cooling uh, the 90 out of 111 state-run prisons that lack any sort of climate control would one would run well into the millions of dollars. In Texas, and this is not a uh, this is not a made this is actually a true story. Uh, in Texas, uh, the call to air-conditioned prisons to keep prisoners from dying and avoid wrongful death lawsuits has been roundly ignored. However, the bellows of the pigs kept by the Texas Department of the Criminal Justice, meanwhile, have not. On Thursday, the criminal justice blog Grits for Breakfast was intrigued by a brief porknetwork.com detailing uh, the purchase of a six climate-controlled swine buildings for $750,000. That post was weekly seized upon the Texas Civil Rights Project, which noted the absurdity of the situation and provided a list of 14 Texas prisoners who have recently died from the heat in a press release. They basically constructed a living situation and climate control situation for pigs so they would not be overheated. Now, ultimately, the pigs are going to be bacon. Uh, (laughs) Ultimately, but you are letting people die, human beings die in Texas prisons with no air? I need your thoughts. I need thoughts from all of you on this one. And, you know, this is Mark again, and one thing I want to say very quickly is, yes, I will be going to Texas to deal with some of those issues as well as a death uh, row case in which the brother has a execution date of August the 24th. Uh, this brother is being killed uh, despite the fact that he killed no one, and the law of parties in the state of Texas is a very narrow law, and it is a accountability law. And, you know, fighting uh, uh, in the state of Texas to rid uh, uh, these types of conditions that have affected people for decades of years uh, is very difficult. And for your listeners, uh we need you to get involved, and we need you to really pay attention to your Facebook pages and just don't look at it, but we need you to get involved. Absolutely. Thank you. George, your thoughts on this? Uh, and let me, let, me, let me share this with you real quick. And, uh, Nino, I'm going to come to you as well. Uh, in the okay. article, it states here, it's outrageous that the TGCPA would prioritize the safety of pigs raised slaughter over the lives of human beings uh, has literally made the decision that protecting its bacon is more important than protecting human lives. The prison su- system subsequent news articles explain has about 20,000 pigs inmates raised for consumption by the prisoners. The prisoners actually are raising the pigs for consumption. And states here, TDCJ officials defend the purchase of the climate control buildings, telling the Texas Tribune that it's consistent with any swine operation. Collier said pigs can't sweat, and temperatures are critical when they are younger. 
but a human being can die on his bunk. Are you absolutely kidding me? George, yeah. Well, I know in a in a majority of Florida prisons there's no air conditioning either, and in the ward, the psych ward where I worked, initially for the first year or so, it was brutally cold. Uh, the men were always complaining about being too cold, and I brought a, a sweat jacket to work with me just to stay warm. And then the air conditioning system broke, and they didn't have any money to fix it. And so during the summer months, it, it was unbearable for everybody, and the the psych unit had solid windows, whereas the out on the compound, the dorms had uh, louvered windows, and you could get some air in. In that psych unit, they didn't have any air coming in or not, and I, I actually had to leave certain rooms. We had a meeting uh, in a stifling hot room, and, and I couldn't breathe. I, I told the, uh, the head of the psychiatric unit, you know, I uh, can't breathe. i got to get out of here, and she got all upset at me. You know, and and so it ended up where they didn't fix the air conditioning in that unit until they were sued. They had to be sued, a lawsuit. So the the DOC is not about to spend any money or do anything uh, to benefit the inmates uh, that they have uh, an obligation to care for. And sometimes it just boils boils down to money. Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any money. And, you know, we got to look at legislators when that happens. In, in Florida, I know that Governor Scott and the legislature has been reducing the funding to the prison system. And so this just ends up causing more problems on top of the problems that they already have. And And one of the problems that that uh, you alluded to earlier is the poor pay for the guards. So these guards are looking to make money on the side. So they start a pill ring, a drug ring, uh, fight rings, um, all sorts of contraband rings to, to make extra money on the side. And then uh, I've had several uh, people contact me with uh, loved ones on the inside who wrote up these guards and they, they were this one man, he was cut severely on, uh, on his neck. He ended up surviving, but he spoke out and was retaliated against. So, you know, they want to keep everything under wraps. It's, it's a culture of brutality and cover up in the state of Florida. And I am quite certain that it's not isolated to Florida. This is happening all over. And one other thing I wanted to mention was the uh, poor, poor quality of the medical care coming from these companies that are uh, uh, under contract to the state's uh, prison system. And I spoke to a mother, for example, from Arizona. Her son went into prison completely healthy. Now he's got a a virulent form of hepatitis C. He's got all sorts of autoimmune disorders and Corizon is not treating him. They will not treat him. 
And so he's, he's potentially going to die from not being treated. And this is, again, not isolated uh, to Arizona or Florida. It's happening all over the country. Sure. Nino, your thoughts? Well, uh, I'll, I'll say to George, uh, it's not that they're not putting air conditions in because they don't have the money. So I will tell you, they definitely do have the money. And that's why they're enjoying the status that they are. They're, they're able to donate big dollars to politicians and things like that because their property so big. And also, you guys need to understand, and we need to make the public understand, that they've been doing this for years and years and years. So as far as the air conditioning of the pigs over the inmates, guess what? Oftentimes, I've been told by grandmothers and, and grandfathers that we were considered less than animals anyway. So this is just a situation where it's status quo in, in the eyes of the prison system. Okay, they're animals anyway. They don't deserve air conditioning. They don't deserve, you know, good food or clean water. And, and so you have to look at it like that. Um, this is it's nothing new, but it's a little bit more out in the open now due to inmates speaking out or sometimes inmates sneak cell phones in and then, you know, they can take videos of certain things going on. They've got access to Internet sometimes. So that's why we even know, besides of the ones of us that have been incarcerated wrongfully, other than that, we don't know about it. You know, we know a mother or a grandmother will write a letter and say, hey, my child is not getting medical attention. Well, guess what? Oftentimes, that child that's in there ends up beat, ends up getting shipped off to another prison and another prison and another prison. They're labeled as a troublemaker. So guess what? Now, there's no belief. So they've been doing this for years. I'm not shocked about pigs receiving AC and uh, inmates not. Well, and, and the horrible part about all of this is that they call it the Department of Corrections, but it's not, <laughs> not correcting anything. It should be the Department of Killers to kill you and to strip you of everything that you had going <laughs> in. I went in wrongfully convicted seven years, uh, had no issues with my back on any level. What you sleep on is a piece of metal if not concrete, depending on where you're at. With a pad so thin, it should be just called um, a garment of some sort. And my That's back, when I, when I got out, I went to a chiropractor, and he said he had never seen a spine in the condition that he saw mine. Uh, from hmm. Somebody that didn't have an actual injury in a car accident or bull riding or whatever you do. Just sleeping on a piece of metal for seven years on my side, and to this day, I've been out of prison for four years, and the pain at times is unbearable. Where I've been at moments where I'm on the floor, cannot walk, and we call this justice? We stand on our stages, and we make our speeches about the greatness of America. But what are we doing to our own people? 
What are we doing? That's why President Obama said, let me take a trip down to solitary confinement. Let's take a look at what's going on. And the president came out and said, that could be me. And until America says, that could be me, will they ever stop this type of treatment? Do inmates' lives matter? You better believe it matters. If you've got a large number of people that are going to get out, you destroy them in the time that they are there? When they get out, they're so institutionalized, they can't even function in society. For the culture that they have lived for 7 or 8 or 28 or 30 years, this is an outrage, and we must continue to speak out against it. And, gentlemen, I appreciate you folks joining us tonight. I have learned so much from, from Nino, from Mark, from George. I say we continue to have this conversation. I say we come together as a unit and we make things happen. If there's anything we can do at AJC Radio or Just Calls, please reach out to us uh, and to get your message out to the masses that inmates' yeah. lives matter and they will never stop mattering. And we have to change uh, the culture in which is going on in this country right now. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to give your closing remarks and see, tell us how people can get a hold of you and how they can be joined in with this fight for justice. George, I'll go with you first. Okay, I want to uh, just put this out to your listeners. Uh, 70, 80 years ago, Germany was in the middle of a Nazi uh, regime, okay? Now they're one of the uh, model uh, models for the world in terms of their prisons. You know, they treat their uh, inmates with respect. They get good results. Uh, a lot of European countries are doing really terrific things. We need to get on the ball. Uh, for your listeners who want to learn more about me, my website is gettingawaywithmurder.org. That's the easiest way to get me. All right, and thank you for that, George. And uh, you have a friend here to just calls and AJC Radio always, and we appreciate you joining us tonight. Mark? Well, uh, I can be reached at Mark Clemens right on Facebook, and Clemens is spelled C-L-E-M-E-N-T-S, or I can be reached by email at simple, mark at nodeathpenalty.org. Thank you. And thank you, Mark, for joining us. You've been an a, uh, informative guest tonight. We appreciate your efforts. And our thoughts go, go with you, you as well. You know, you're welcome. Uh, you can reach me on Facebook at Nino Lyons. That's N-I-N-O-L-Y-O-N-S. Or you can email me at Nino Lyons at Yahoo.com. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. And let's stay in touch and see what we can do to change this corrupt criminal injustice system. No, oh, absolutely. And, uh, uh, thank you guys. Let's let's definitely stay in touch. I'm going to be in touch with you guys offline in the next day or so. Uh, we'll we'll have, make sure we got all contact information, and we'll continue this fight uh, for justice around this country. Appreciate your efforts and what you do. It's appreciated by us and hopefully a lot of other people tonight after this conversation. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. What a very informative conversation. Do inmates' lives matter? We will seek and continue to seek justice. And right now we do a very special edition 
of how the inmates, known as the RP6, their lives definitely matter, and they have been tested in that forum. The RP6, what you didn't know, starts right now. But just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us for these unbelievable events. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions. The name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out. Because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind. And we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time. Some 200 pages but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serrigan, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright, of the RP6 tragedy, go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden, your whole life is ripped apart.
What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. What you didn't know about the RP6, and we take an extension from the conversation tonight. Do inmates' lives matter? Do the RP6, do their lives matter? That is the question. And AJC Radio and Adjust Calls resoundingly say absolutely yes. And Cliff, we talk tonight about the harassment, the pure acts and abuse of power at the Florence prison camp in Colorado. For four years, they have harassed, they have targeted these six men and without cause, that is an abuse of power without question. Talk to our listeners. And again, Mon, it goes back to the, uh, the culture. How is it that, why are the correctional, correctional officers why do they feel like it's okay for them to mistreat the inmates there at the visitation center in Florence? And, and you're talking about at a camp. It is because the warden, and in this case, uh, Warden Stansel, because it comes down from him. It comes down from the fact that he allows it, he encourages it, and when anything is brought up uh, to try to, to be brought to his attention on this is something that needs to be dealt with, uh, he pretty much ignores it. I don't know how many times we have a just call that said, look, there's issues where there's discrepancies on your website, the processes and procedures there, from when you come up to the, uh, to the desk in the visiting room, there's some discrepancies. Let's talk about it as a community between the, you know, the outside, the visiting community and the community of the correctional officers and their boss, the uh, warden yeah, Stansel. Yeah. Let's talk about it so that we can all come to the same conclusion and have an understanding. He would not one time meet with yeah. us to to say okay we appreciate it and and you know the the statement is always always there but we appreciate and encourage you to come visit inmates but then when it comes down to putting forth an effort to ensure that the uh the visiting um you know time 
and and experience can be enjoyable for all. That is where uh, he uh, word Stancil has completely failed. What and the, so that culture, and I don't mean to cut you off, but right. that culture trickles down to his correctional officer to there is that's where the abuse happens in the visitation room because they know their boss, the warden, is not going to do anything to it. Well, not only that, and A.W. John, who is the acting warden there now, uh, is just as guilty, uh, came in and made threats to these men and their families, basically. And we've had we've gone as far as having threats made uh, and assaults on the daughter of one of the RP6. Uh, and we have sent that information to the Bureau of Prisons. And this is a failure to act, a failure to step in and say, this is enough. And when the discretion of a warden becomes abuse, that is where we call on the higher ranks and the executives of the Bureau of Prisons to step in and say enough is enough, Dennis. And I'll tell you, this cannot be tolerated. This is abuse. As we talk, these lives matter. These six men are innocent of any crime. Exactly. But it wouldn't change if they were guilty. You don't have a right to abuse these men. And make no mistake about it, this is a camp. This is a camp without a fence that if a inmate wanted to just walk away, he could actually do that. This is absolutely outrageous and should not be going on. Stay continued, uh, excuse me, to be continued here on what you didn't know about the RP6. We'll pick up with this conversation and much more as we deal tonight with inmates' lives matter. The RP6, who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. The wheels of justice will continue to roll as we seek justice for these men. We ask you to go to change.org, sign the petition as we request President Obama to grant clemency to these six innocent men that have the key and the software to make America safe. Lisa, there are perpetrators of justice who are responsible for these men. Who are they and their wrongful conviction? Excuse me. Go ahead. They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hasra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richards, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Bob Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen of America, good night. This is AJC Radio signing off as we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night, America. Good night.